Good morning for the CJRU Morning Mixtape. I am Donovan LaCroxy, and debuting on the show, I've got actor and spoken word artist, Cord Knee. Did you want to tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about yourself? My name is Courtney McLean, born and raised in Oklahoma. I am a spoken word artist, actor, and also community outreach uh, professional. Um, you know, when it comes to my day to day, I focus on providing marginalized groups of students and young professionals and um, non-traditional students better career opportunities, accessibility and resources uh, to industry strongholds that usually keep us out of the opportunities. But I will say that I'm one that's trying to create these lanes and open up these pathways. And so I enjoy that. That's my day to day. But I've been acting for the past three years, doing spoken word for um, a majority uh, amount of my adulthood when it comes to getting on stage and actually doing something passionate and delivering my spoken word. I've been doing that for the past five years. Mm. Um, I've been to several cities, different states uh, doing spoken word. And uh, I have two albums out. The first one, Black and Shakespeare's Inc. Also, I have a book uh, that I released with that in 2018. And then my second album coming is called Pressure Cookers, which will be released in the summer. And so I'm open for uh, I do a lot of uh, features for albums as well, which I love doing that. Um, I do voiceover work. And just out here trying to grind and, and make all my dreams come true. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So the second album, what are we going to expect on the second album? So the second album coming in um, summertime is called Pressure Cookers. Uh, the rationale behind that. And, and so I'm finishing up just some a, a couple of tweaks. I had some sampling issues that pushed me back uh, last month, but I'm looking to release it mid-May. And so this one is called Pressure Cookers. It, it all dwells from a, a metaphor that I was thinking about with Black men being like pressure cookers. And see, because the pressure cooker is like a, it's a sealed cooking vessel that uses high pressure to increase the boiling points of liquids, right? It cooks food faster, but it's way more dangerous. And the different causes for explosions, you know, is uh, in, incompatible food types, inadequate ventilation, and releasing of pressure in unsafe ways. And you can cook up to temperatures of 250 degrees, but even then your contents can still explode. So the rationale behind that is, the moral of that is just because you can handle it doesn't mean it's healthy. So Ooh. black man, when's the last time you check your heat gauge? And so pressure cookers is, is something that you know kind of came from a summit that I was at. And we were talking about girl dads and we're talking about all the pressures of a black man and not being able to vent and not being able to find our own safe space and after that got in the studio and start cooking <laughs> mm -hmm. you're cooking right <laughs> yes sir yes sir <laughs> so what was the difference between the second album that's coming up and the first one what did you call that one the, the sad thing about it is i know a lot of people don't read and my thing, when I released my book in 2018, I was like, you know, I want to do like an audio version of my book. But I love I love instrumentation. I love hip hop. I love vocalists. So it couldn't just be a voiceover. It had to be something more, you know, more intentional with the sound and the and the um, the dynamics of the storytelling. So the first one is called Blacker Than Shakespeare's Inc., the Diary of the Nostalgic Kid. 
And that's from Blacker Than Shakespeare's Inc. That's a special title for me because I always, as a young child, shunned poetry, but I loved hip hop. And the connection was made when I was in about seventh grade. My English teacher, uh, she told me, you know, rap is just like poetry. You know, that's that's where it comes from. It's come from poetry. But I couldn't make that connection because all I had was the Robert Frost and and the, you know, the Shakespearean uh, experience of junior high and elementary and all these all these tales in this language that I couldn't identify with that I couldn't relate to at all. And so when she told me that, I started actually reading the lyrics that I've been loving so much when it comes to Biggie, Tupac, uh, KRS-One, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, you know, coming up, listening to those, and then going into Most Deaf and Jay-Z and Nas and, you know, digging into when I was getting older. It was just like, this is poetry. And I may not be rapping, but I'm telling our stories and I can do it in such an eloquent and, and powerful way that it sounds good and people people want to listen to it, you know. And so Blacker Than Shakespeare's Inc. for me is our stories are deeper than what they put in front of us when we were kids. And all I know is these flowers and, and this particular these flowers and these sunsets and, and this type of these type of things that we can't relate to. Even even the analogies that we we don't identify with. And so I wanted to write something that told our stories that was eloquent and that was creative, but also empowering. Uh, that's where that title comes from when I speak directly from Blacker Than Shakespeare's Ink, because my ink is blacker than what you've been seeing when it comes to poetry. I mean, I've been in spaces where grown men that are looking hard as hell in the in the crowd tell me, hey, bro, I never liked poetry until I heard yours. And that that, that means a lot for me because that's like what I'm trying to accomplish. How does it feel being that vulnerable as a black man and opening up those hurt, though, ab about those hurts and those scars that you've been through or that other black men have been through, but you're being vulnerable about it? How does that feel? At first, I didn't want to do exactly that. When I first started writing, it was all blackity black, black power this, black power that. It wasn't me being vulnerable. Even when I was specifically talking about the ills of society and racism and, and politics and then digging into religion, none of it was super personal. And because, you know, a single parent household, my mom, you know, she was tough and she really wasn't that emotional. So I grew up kind of disconnected from, uh, you know, being emotionally um, vulnerable at all. So that was tough for me. I mean, I'd say mid-20s. <laughs> mid-20s is when I really started trying to expound on that part of myself. And then having girls, I have two girls, seven and six. So they definitely have made me what I call soft. <laughs> In one of my pieces, you know, I say uh, tea party hosting, great hug giving, family pedicure, getting emotional intelligence, learning, marrying the woman you love and showing your daughters how to treat her. Yeah, bro. Being a husband and girl dad is making me soft. And so, so when I speak to things like that or, or go into how, you know, I'm soft now because I, I, I think about how I need to tell my mom how much I love her every time I get off the phone and her replies are kind of 
they're kind of like dim a little bit because she's not used to saying that either. So me at 38 and her in her mid fifties, you know, we're finally getting to a point where we tell each other, we love each other. We, we're, we finally get to a point where we try to put those guards down. Cause she was the middle of 10. She has nine siblings and she's the middle child. And they were just never emotional like that. And my grandmother was never emotionally vulnerable like that. So she couldn't teach me what she just didn't know. You know, so now me as a father trying to make sure that I tell my girls it's okay to cry, but understand why you're crying and understand that it's okay to to be in your feelings, but also to get up out of them and do something about it. You know, I don't know how that would look if I had a son and maybe it would look similar. Hopefully it will look similar but having girls has made me more emotionally aware. We can be emotionally intelligent and not be emotionally aware. It's a difference. And that understanding that dynamic as you grow older, appreciate your family, appreciate your friends, appreciate these relationships you're developing and, and understanding how to take care of those and take care of yourself. Um, right. It has, has been very huge for me. Right. Is there a poetry that you can read to encourage the young people? Because you do work in the community. Do you have a poetry that you can encourage maybe our Canadians to just to encourage them? Like like one of my pieces, uh, I'm talking about brotherhood. And I say, um, you know, the first murder was committed by one brother to another. We get Cain when, when we're able to show love. It's sad when you Nick, they become more like a brother than becomes more like a Nick, less like your brother. Get money like Mitch when cold uncles like ice. Death is a price when envy know you nice. Either Nino and G Money or GQ and Bishop. Eventually, we have to stop being our brother's keeper on the way to the top. Because the cap never know when to release you. But I'd rather be a bridge than a barrier while others burn bridges and never learn to swim and get thrown trauma life preservers. Circles of agony, so seeing murder is never shocking, smooth as silk, bound it, bound it about that trauma bonding, knows not his limit or mastering his potential. See, I'd rather have 80 years Sidney P and Belafonte friendships while seeing the God in you at an X on the end of what your mama call you, cash is, because the cause, because the cast is stormy, but the darkness don't mean knockout. We need mountains of Malcolms. After warring through bouts, I pray I still speak and you remember that I love you, Black man, because we don't say it enough. Wow. Yeah, bro. Wow. I'm getting soft. That's a piece of that soft piece again. That's been uh, a vulnerable place that I've been trying to sit in. Another piece of that is, yeah, I'm soft. Soft is lullabies, good night, and watching my babies while they sleep. Afraid that they don't appreciate how their dreams at seven and six could be so fleeting. I thought I knew it all until I held my babies for the first time. God's gift, just a wink into what it's like to create. So soft, I'm wiping away 40 years of rip-resistant sheets with charming texture tones. Those black men die in bulk. Quilted I love yous for my mama before I get off the phone to her thin ply replies. I need her to know that her love was well absorbed the dichotomy. The dichotomy of being a protector and caregiver. When two callous hands have to carry two gentle, pervasive palms to peel back heavy apologies to the left, even though I know I'm right. No matter the fight, the night before I make breakfast for my wife. Culinary efforts to feed her starving feelings with nourishment. My love language is food, so I'm fluent. Yeah, bruh, I'm soft. And that starts going into how to care for my wife. 
when I first got with my wife, you know, we we used to um, we used to have these arguments, and my my main goal was to try to win. Mm-hmm. I needed to win the argument. I need to have the last say. I need to get one up on her. And I know where I got that from. I got that from not understanding that I always say, forget humble. I don't believe in the word humble. I don't believe in humble to diminish yourself, to look at yourself as a low in rank and standard. But I do believe in humility. And humility is being able to show grace. Humility is being able to uh, look at the situation and seeing that sometimes, even though you feel like you're right, you let that person win because what are you losing when you keep pushing the boundaries? What are you losing when you say that one last thing that could be hurtful to that person you post to love? You know, what are you losing when you go out of your way uh, to make sure that you get the, what they say, the quote unquote, the last lick. And so I had, to, so I had to keep that in mind and and apply that to how I was loving my wife and how, how now I love my mom. Now, now I love my peers Right. Oh, that was deep. <laughs> I'm still reco- recovering from re- from you reading that. I appreciate it. All right. So did you want to talk about your acting a bit? So with the acting, the acting has been great. I haven't hit any big roles, but what I do appreciate is I've been given a lot of opportunities to either do um, film festival work. I've been doing film festival work, which is a little frustrating because it gets tied up. In the, into the film festival, so you can't really publicize anything you've been doing, but you can find me on Actors Access and IMDb to see the different things that I'm a part of, the different things that might be in like post-production that's about to come out. Like I said, you know, I had opportunity to be an extra in For the Love of Money with Carrie Hilson and Cat Williams and, uh, and Ro Timmy, which was fun. But your brother didn't. Your brother didn't have no words. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's a you start know, next but, time. <laughs> but but when it comes to uh, uh, training, you know, I've been continuously being coached, just learning the craft. You know, understanding that all the focus that goes into acting, you know, and being able to go back into your memory bank, your emotional bank, and then tap into the space you need to be in to you know, essentially become that character and sell that character where it's believable and where where you believe it and others watching can believe it. That's been very fun for me. That's been rewarding. But a lot of local commercials, a lot of local opportunities in Oklahoma, it's been pretty good for me. What I've been trying to do currently, I have a brand new reel. I went to the Actors Factory, shout out to Norman, Oklahoma, and got brand new reel, brand new uh, material. So now I'm looking to push it to uh, talent agencies and representation outside of Oklahoma. So if you're listening and you're a casting director, I'll add me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Courtney McLean, I'm on IMDB, that's C-O-R-D-N-E-Y-M-C-C-L-A-I-N, and um, available on IMDB and Actors Access as well. You can see my reel and my headshots are up. How does it feel sticking in Oklahoma and making acting <laughs> work? Because most of the actors, they got to go to Los Angeles or New York. How does it feel when you decided, you know what? And it's happening with other actors. They're right. staying in local states now. What's your take to that? When COVID quarantine hit, it provided more opportunities because these directors and producers were trying to find places that either weren't so strict and Oklahoma was not that strict when it came to COVID requirements. 
and cheaper environments. And it's, it's cheap to do business in Oklahoma. And so with the policies and the, uh, the like grants and things like that being passed in Oklahoma, it's very attractive to producers to come here. And, you know, from what I've heard when, when I've been on these sets and listening to these directors and such, it's easy to move around. So when you send a PA to go get something in California, it might take them a couple hours. If you do that in Oklahoma, <laughs> it's not going to take you more than 20 minutes for a PA to run somewhere and then come right back. <laughs> so so the accessibility to resources, the, the cheap work and the ability for them to move around, I see it being very beneficial. And from what I can see, it's been booming. So I've been trying to take all the advantage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I make sure listeners or people in Oklahoma, you stick to Duncan. Don't go to Lawton, okay? <laughs> All the way at the end of the city. <laughs> hey, so yeah, so my yeah, my wife is from Duncan, and it's and it's funny because I mean, like, you know, I'm from Oklahoma City, born and raised, and I, and a lot of my family, my mom and her and her siblings were raised in Muskogee, Oklahoma, which is next to pretty close to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so as a child, you know, I kind of frequented from Muskogee and Tulsa, but going to Duncan, I mean, Duncan's pretty small. (laughs) (laughs) Duncan's pretty small. So if you're, if you're from out of state and you go to Duncan, you definitely won't have anything to do there. But I will say you can get some decent barbecue around there. Those parts are decent for barbecue. And, you know, my father-in-law is there. So it's all love. It's all love. <laughs> all right. Well, I want some West Indian food. I want some curry goats, some oxtail, because, you know, a brother's Jamaican and St. Lucian background. So they don't have that. The barbecue nah. is fine, but I need some oxtail. I nah, need some well, curry goat. I need some fried dumpling and ackee and saltfish. Come you, on, you Mr. McLean. Yeah, you won't get that there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we need some Jamaicans to fly up there and cook that yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, you, de- you definitely will. You, you'll, you'll just be out of luck for a few days if you go there looking for that. <laughs> all right, all right. So what's your message again? What do you want to tell the Black men in Canada? What's your message to them? Maybe they're caught up in toxic masculinity. What do you want to tell right, them? Right. Hey, that toxic masculinity can be a beast, too. <laughs> so what I will say is uh, pain and struggle are inevitable, right? Uh, but, but suffering It's optional. So look for professional therapy. I just feel like that's not that's not pushed enough. Like even when I speak directly about my pressure cookers, look at look out for pressure cookers. I I have my single that's released right now. It's called Peace. And um, and that and peace speaks to black men trying to find some type of safe split, a safe place and us being able to vent and us being able to vent and not feel like someone is going to weaponize what we've been told, what, what they've been told. So, like I said, pain and struggles are inevitable, but suffering is optional. If you are suffering, reach out to professionals for help. Now, yes, you can vent to a friend. You can go to the gym. You know, uh, you know, I know folks is smoking mad amounts of weed <laughs> these days, especially if you got a card. But at the end of the day, those vices are only vices. And what does a vice do? A vice grips you. It grips you and it can and it can eventually strangle you to death. And one thing that I I use in one of my poems is we'll say, I'm good, bro, all the way into depression. 
So for one, if you are talking to someone and you ask them how they are doing, don't do it in a passive manner. Matter of fact, a lot of times if you ask someone how they're doing twice in the same setting, you might start getting to the real the second, the second answer. So wow. be more intentional. Be more intentional when you ask someone how they're doing. And two, if you know you're going through it, please seek professional help because all of us need it. But if you are definitely going through it, you especially need it. And you need someone that can really provide you some honest feedback and some constructive assistance. Mm-hmm. That's my word. And there's nothing wrong with getting help, right? Right. Ain't nothing wrong with help. <laughs> Ain't I'm nothing a, wrong with help. Well, I'm a black man. I'm done of it. I don't need no help, man. I'm yep. strong. Or we just going to pray it away. <laughs> pray it away. Yes. Deliverance. <laughs> yep. We just going to pray it away. Yes. No, it ain't gonna do it. Church, church just ain't gonna do it either. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of tormented people that's in church every Sunday. Preach, preach. I know you and I have been raised in the church. Yep. I know. <laughs> yep. yep. I need. I need you to go seek professional help. Um, and and we just we just sleep on that. You know, we really sleep on that as a, as a people. And so that's what I would tell. That's what I would tell, especially men and and women. You know, provide that safe space. Because because we need it and, and we want it from you, but but you have to show us that it's a it's a true safe space and you won't weaponize what we tell you. Right. Not shun saying, oh, you're not dealing with that. Come on, man. Right. Up. All of us grew up with that man up. Oh, man. All of us grew up with that whole dynamic of, oh, you need a man up. Boys don't cry. All of that. Mm-hmm. You Are know, you a <laughs> <laughs> All of that. And and that's why I kind of make tongue in cheek with my poem when it comes to the, the soft poem, which has went well over with male audiences. You know, I have a poem called uh, Superman, where the whole thing I use Marvel and DC metaphors, but all of it is at the root of who takes care of Superman when he can no longer be Superman. Who's going to be there for us? And if we feel like no one is there for us, then we'll implode. And we don't want our men to explode, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Did you want to throw out your social media quickly? You can reach me on Facebook, LinkedIn, all any other professional dashboards at Courtney, C-O-R-D-N-E-Y, McLean at M-C-C-L-A-I-N. My Instagram and TikTok is Mac, M-A-C, underscore since 1985. And I also have a brand new website, MacWoods Inc. INK.com. With my MacWoodsInc.com, you can see direct video links to my YouTube. I have a brand new YouTube, MacWoods Inc. as well. And the ink is INK again. And with the website, you can book me there. You can see more about my curriculum and you can see all the latest that's going on uh, with me. And I'm active on all platforms. So please reach out to me, Mac underscore since 1985. All right, all right, all right. I'd like to thank you for debuting on the show. Thank you, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the time. All right, for CJRU twelve eighty AM, I'd like to thank artist, spoken word artist, and actor. You can throw out your name again, Courtney McLean, C O R D N E Y. Thank you so much, and thank you to the listeners for listening to this episode. Thank you again, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor.